This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All over the world, millions of men, women and children will gather together today for a service of remembrance and indeed over the last couple of days. I was down in Monmouth on Friday on Remembrance Day doing some talks down there. Some will do so in great cathedrals, others in cities and towns and villages around their cenotaphs or their war memorials or in their churches as we are doing. Over the years I've taken part in many such services from the warmth and the sunshine in Cyprus and Nicosia to the bitter November winds of West Germany. I've also visited many of the battlefields and war cemeteries in Europe and the Middle East, from Verdun to El Alamein, Singapore, Dunkirk to Flanders, and most recently from Basra to Baghdad. France and Belgium are good countries in which to contemplate war. There are other places equally appropriate, like Belsen or Auschwitz, Stalingrad or Hiroshima. But France and Belgium were the killing fields of the British Army in the First World War and the scenes of some of the most desperate and determined fighting in the Second. Our commemorations can, if we're not careful, take on a rather dispassionate, cool approach. But the essential fact of war, what needs to be remembered above all else, is death, merciless and brutal, spreading across Europe and the world. War is not speeches or parades, it is pain and suffering and death in Flanders and Dunkirk, Normandy and the Somme, Burma and the Western Desert. The occasional half an hour over the years in a quiet military cemetery in France has done more to bring home the reality of all of that than just about anything else, even more than my own experiences in places like the Balkans, Kosovo and Iraq. The War Graves Commission maintained 27,000 sites all over the world in which are buried 1.7 million Commonwealth war dead. There are 3,222 British cemeteries in France from the two world wars and 712 in Belgium. 
Between them, 779,684 British and Commonwealth soldiers are buried and commemorated. 574,870 in France, 204,814 in Belgium. This year is the 106th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme, which started on the 1st of July 1916 and ended four and a half months later on November the 13th, today. Stretching in a line from the northern end of the battlefield at Camoncourt to Mametz, 12 miles south, there is a cemetery every quarter of a mile. 5,000 are buried at Devil Wood, 4,000 at Highwood, and more than 1,500, including three pairs of brothers, at Flatiron Copse in Death Valley under Mametz Wood. Just a few of the 419,654 British and Commonwealth casualties suffered in those awful four and a half months. About 220,000 of the dead in France and 102,000 in Belgium, more than half the dead of Ypres and Passchendaele were never identified. Over 160,000 bodies have never been recovered. 10 or 20 are found every year, even today, when farmers plough their fields or builders dig foundations or excavate ditches on the battlefield. There's hardly a corner of France that does not contain a grave. Some live in small churchyards or in communal cemeteries, others in the large war cemeteries, some sitting alongside the dead from previous generations. They are heart-rending places, these cemeteries. The white tombstones stand in long straight rows with their shadows marching in ranks behind them. They're beautifully kept by the War Graves Commission, the stones planted in flower beds, the grass mowed close. And on each, where known, is the name, rank, and age of the soldier, sailor, or airman buried there with his regimental badge. And soft, often some words are etched into the stone. The numbers are awesome, but each headstone and name represents a husband or a son, a father or a brother. On a headstone in the uh, military cemetery near Changi in Singapore, I found these words from the loving mother of a 23-year-old private soldier, from the Leicestershire Regiment. Sleep on, dear son, in a far-off land, in a grave I will never see. On another in Bayeux, I found these words from the parents of a young 19-year-old soldier. To the world, he was but one of many. But to us, he was all the world. And on another tombstone, there were others we know, but he was ours, and we loved him so. That's the reality of the awesome statistics. Headstones represent a personal tragedy. Some, however, tell a story between them that is almost too much to bear. Major Joe Thorne of the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Light Infantry is buried in Castle, a small town 18 miles south of Dunkirk. His regiment were part of the rear guard protecting the beaches and was effectively destroyed on the 29th of May 1940, six days before the last boats left. Joe's two older brothers were killed in an earlier war on the Somme, and two of his cousins were killed near Bethune in 1915. A whole generation wiped out. The patriarch of the family, their grandfather, was a namesake of mine, the Reverend Marlborough Cross, the vicar of a rural parish in Norfolk. It's difficult to imagine what he must have gone through 
holding the memorial services for each of his five grandsons, one after the other. Second Lieutenant Ewan Cross of the Leicestershire Regiment, Joe Thorne's cousin, is listed on the war memorial at Le Touré, near Bethune, along with 13,481 other men whose bodies were never identified. He was killed on the 16th of May 1915 in a battle of absolutely no military significance known as the Battle of Festubert. He was 19 years old. His elder brother, Lieutenant Marlborough Cross, named after his grandfather, was killed two months earlier at Neuf-Chapelle. He was 21. He's buried in a somber cemetery at a place the British called Windy Corner, near the Air Canal. I've seen a photograph of him, taken just before the war. A rather serious-looking boy, in a suit and waistcoat, on his way up to Cambridge. On the back of, his, of the photo, his mother had written his name, the regiment, and an epitaph. Our hero boy, who died in early years, in men's regret, in women's tears. The history of the East Surrey Regiment records that on the night of the 27th of September 1915, 2nd Lieutenant Marlborough Thorne, known as Mally, Joe's brother, and also named like his cousin after his grandfather, went out on a patrol with a private warby with the intention of bombing a German sniper and to see if certain craters were held. Soon after they left, Warby returned and reported that Malley had been shot. A Lance Sergeant Conquest then led three patrols out to try to bring him in, the third of which got well out in spite of heavy machine gun fire, but failed to find the officer. Lieutenant Cornelius Thorne, Malley's brother, then went out with a private hind to try to find him, and they did so. Cornelius brought Malley back into the trench on his back, but Malley was found to be dead. Cornelius won an MC, Private High, and a medal for distinguished conduct in the field. Malley is buried in a shallow valley near Albert. The lines of the trenches can still be clearly seen along the crests of the ridges. Cornelius Thorne was killed exactly a year later in one of the last actions of the Battle of the Somme the assault on the German positions at Thiepville Ridge near Albert. The largest of all the British war memorials stands there now, a 150-foot high arch, the 16 immense pillars lined with marble, on which are inscribed the names of 73,421 men killed in the Battle of the Somme, whose bodies have never been found. That was the, the battle in which 19,240 British soldiers died out of 57,470 casualties suffered in just one day. A battle in which the furthest British advance totaled 12 kilometres. Amongst those listed on the memorial is Cornelius Thorne. War, of course, didn't stop in 1918. The years which since have been just as awful, in some respects even more so. Nearly 10 million died in World War I, Yet within 21 years, many of the same generation found themselves embroiled in another, even greater war, and this time, nearly 55 million died. There's only been a couple of years since 1945 when a British serviceman has not been killed on operations around the world. That terrible fact, which I first spoke of probably 40 years ago now, remains true today. Since the 1996, the British Army has been deployed on over half a dozen operations, including most recently, of course, Iraq and Afghanistan, where many hundreds have died being wounded in action, many very badly. 
I remember visiting one of my officers lying in a Birmingham hospital with one arm and one leg blown off and the second leg in danger of being amputated. Another enormous memorial to the British dead is at the Menin Gate at Ypres, commemorating 55,000 men who have no known grave. Some of the panels have been replaced recently because the names have become unreadable because of the wind, the rain, and the pollution. Her Majesty the Queen was there back in November 1998 with about 20 survivors of the mud and the destruction. But of course, none of that generation are alive today to tell their stories. Yet today, today and every day, at 8 p.m. this evening, a unit of the Belgian Army or from their fire service will parade at the Menin Gate, stop the traffic that runs through the arch, and sound last post. That ceremony began in 1928. It was interrupted in 1940 when the Germans, in a two-week offensive, overran northern France, achieving what four years and a million dead had failed to win in the First World War. Four years later, on the very day that the Germans evacuated Ypres, a Belgian veteran emerged from the rubble, returned to the gate, and sounded last post. He remembered, and so must we. If you're able, would you please stand? And we say together the words on the screen. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We'll now move to the coverage of the BBC. Standing as a guard of honour on the steps of the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, which is where the politicians will emerge, key scouts who've reached the highest level of scouting. Solemn melody 
Is the music playing now? And we're still waiting for the politicians. Here they come to come out. Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Ian Blackford in the kilt of the Scottish National Party. Sir Ed Davey for the Liberal Democrats. Prime Ministers. David Cameron, Theresa May, Tony Blair, John Major, Gordon Brown, and members of the Cabinet following on behind. Boris Johnson there left and to his right Liz Truss who was briefly Prime Minister so all the Prime Ministers standing there, Theresa May with the black hat in the middle behind between Richard Sunak and Keir Starmer Now the Chiefs of Staff, the Chief of the Defence Staff, Admiral Tony Radikin, and the representatives of the Merchant Navy and Fishing Fleets as well. And they come out and take their position just to this side of the Cenotaph, and they're followed by the High Commissioners and Ambassadors Ambassadors and High Commissioners form a three-sided a square without, with a cenotaph at the end of it, all three sides, representing so many different countries who, most of them, contributed in one way or another with men, fighting men and support for the war, women in more recent years. And they're followed by representatives of many, many different faiths, 22 in all here today. And now the royal party, led by His Majesty the King, followed by his son, the Prince of Wales, Princess Royal, the Duke of Wessex, and on the balcony, the Queen Consort there, and now Big Ben starts 
the chimes leading up to the two minutes silence at 11 o'clock. last post sounded by 
the Royal Marine Buglers and preceding that the King's Troop with their gun signalling the end of the two-minute silence. And now the King walks forward in his uniform as Field Marshal, but he's CNC of UK Armed Forces. And now a wreath is laid on behalf of the Queen Consort, who's watching from a balcony as a wreath is laid on her behalf. have our collect for Remembrance Sunday. Ever-living God, we remember those whom you have gathered from the storm of war into the peace of your presence. May that same peace calm our fears, bring justice to all peoples, and establish harmony among the nations. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We sing now the traditional Remembrance Sunday hymn, O God, our help in ages past. <laughs> 